Raise your hand if you've ever cooked for Gordon Ramsay. No, seriously, go on. I'll wait. Okay, so I obviously can't see you, but I'm guessing not many of you have actually cooked for Gordon Ramsay before. On today's show, I have Chef Derek Fox. You're going to hear how this punk rock drummer went from being on the Warp Tour to the runner-up of MasterChef Season 6 and then returned for All-Stars Season 12. You're going to hear the story of how he started his own private chef business and then launched a cookie business called Epic Mega Cookies. Hi, this is Chris Spear, and I'm the host of Chefs Without Restaurants, the show where I speak with culinary entrepreneurs and people in the food and beverage industry working outside of a traditional restaurant setting. So yes, today I have Chef Derek Fox, and I was really interested by his story. He didn't come up through the traditional restaurant ranks like many of us did. He didn't go to culinary school, though he did have some restaurant experience. But Derek used to be a drummer in a punk rock band. He's toured all over the country and played the Warp Tour, which I think is really cool because I love that kind of music. And like many people who work in the restaurant industry, he started in the front of the house, but then eventually decided that he wanted to get some back of the house experience and started cooking. The more he did it, the more he loved it, and he actually found himself cooking when he was out on tour with his band. After a number of years playing shows on the road, he decided he wanted to try something different, so he submitted an application to the show MasterChef, and guess what? He was picked. So next thing you know, he was cooking dishes for them, and they liked what they saw, so he was on the show. And Derek managed to impress Gordon Ramsay and was a runner-up in season six. Then he was asked if he wanted to come back and do a season of All-Stars, and he said yes, and in between the time between when he did season six and when he ended up doing All-Stars, he decided he wanted to really build and grow his brand and his business so that he would have something to promote when season 12 came out. And I don't want to give too much away, but I will say that Derek eventually started his own private chef business, he's launched a cookie line, and he started a podcast called A Bunch of Losers, where... He talks to other people who've been on reality TV shows who didn't win, which I think is a pretty cool concept. And before we get to the show, I want to let you know about something I'm really excited about. I'm going to be doing collaborative pop-up dinners. That was something I always planned with Chefs Without Restaurants. I did a couple of them back in 2019 and early 2020 before COVID started. And, you know, obviously that put a stop to kind of what I wanted to do there. And while we're still dealing with COVID... Things have obviously loosened up a bit, and I'm comfortable starting to do these dinners again. The first one is going to be with Chef Matt Collins on Saturday, March 12th in New Jersey. We're still working out the final details, but I'd love to see some of you there. It's going to be a fun, collaborative six-course dinner, plus probably a few extras. It'll be a blend of our cuisines and styles. And this is something I want to continue, so if you're interested, hit me up. I'd love to travel to wherever you are and do a pop-up together. Maybe we can also do a Chefs Without Restaurants meetup. If that's something you're into, let me know. Send me an email at chefswithoutrestaurants at gmail.com. Now, let's get down to business. Here's the show. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great week. Hey, Derek, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for coming on. A great concept, Chefs Without Restaurants. Um, There's an army of us, man. I mean, and, you know, a lot of, I think a lot of, like, restaurant chefs, they project that we're like a lower class chef sometimes and at least i i've experienced that and i just i think it's that that ego that they hold on to because like being a chef without a restaurant is sometimes a lot harder 
a lot harder. You rarely have a support system, right? Like yeah. most of us are solo operators, which means you're doing the admin stuff, the menu planning yep. stuff. You might be doing the accounting stuff, your social media stuff, shopping, cooking, yeah, all of that. Yeah, the grocery store, the prepping, yeah. 100%, 100%. But I, I think people are getting it more. And I still see it kind of as like a an age thing, like the kind of younger, brasher chefs, you know, like hashtag chef life, like the chef bro culture where those guys are like restaurant, ride or die. I, and then they hit like maybe like 30 or so and like, oh, this maybe I don't want to be doing this for the rest of my life. Yeah. And you know, what's funny is like, so, like sometimes I'll have parties for my client where I get to hire a team. And when I have that team in there, like this weekend, I, I did a party. We had like 50 people at the house in Malibu. I mean, we did it. My client goes all out. We did this giant seafood tower. I mean, it was literally like a hundred pounds of seafood and thousands of dollars of caviar. I mean, it was insane. We flew in dueling pianos from Vegas. I mean, like it was insane. And I got to, I got to call my guys like that I use for parties. And I've been getting to use them a couple times in a row the last couple weeks. And, you know, we were in there and we were grooving and we were, pumping everything out and it made me like miss being in a restaurant it, it gave me that like nostalgia like man we're they're all ride or die right now like this is such a good feeling when you're accomplishing something as a team and and yeah so restaurants they get that all the time uh and and you realize like how solo you really are when you're a private chef when you get those moments to work with other people so i don't know it was interesting but i loved it yeah i love Working with people. That's one of the reasons I wanted to start Chefs Without Restaurants is, you know, even if I couldn't find people to work with me on the day to day, maybe we could do events and stuff together. But now as I do bigger events, I'm hiring people to help with me. And this guy, Mike, he used to be like my chef to cuisine, like before I started my business. And he helps me out a lot. And it's that thing like, Mike and I cook together for five years, right? Like he knows when I move for something, like how he needs to move or like can almost see in my eyes when I like need something and knows that like, oh, he needs the olive oil, right? And like that feeling is really good because I don't work with people that often and to have someone working with me who like totally just knows what I need, when I need it and how I want something done is really yeah. awesome. And and that's what I miss about working, you know, in a place with other people. So before we start talking about cooking, I want to talk about your background because I think it's a little interesting. You were a drummer in a previous life, right? Yeah. Um, you can see I'm sitting behind me for those that, you know, I know this is just the audio podcast, but the drums are stacked behind me. Yeah, I was playing drums in high school to like take out frustration. I had that teenage angst. I listened to, you know, a bunch of emo music and it was like... God, it was such a different time. Like people, like these kids these days. <laughs> what were you listening to like, back then? Like, what were you jamming? Uh, a lot of like Taking Back Sunday, uh, Thursday, early Fallout Boy, of course, like Blink One Eighty Two, Some Forty One, Newfound Glory, all those just like emo pop punk bands, Dashboard Confessional. But then I would also listen to like Goo Goo Dolls, you know, and then Counting Crows. I was kind of all over the place. Because I'd also put, like, if I had a girl coming over, I'd put on John Mayer. <laughs> you were definitely in that, like, warp Tour mentality. And I, play, I got the play warp Tour. I got the play warp Tour. Wow. Like, what year? Like, who was on the bill that year? Uh, it was amazing. It was, like, Gym Class Heroes. Paramore was playing the Hurley stage. Like, they weren't even big yet. Story of the Year. I mean, it was wild. It was, uh, it was 2005 we played it. 
so we would tour as uh we would tour with using myspace we would promote all of our shows with myspace we book all of our shows through myspace we were ranked in the top 10 unsigned bands on myspace like they used to rank the music and so we were getting enough plays and enough traction around the country we were top 10 unsigned bands so we could we could message a venue on myspace and be like hey look this is us can we come play your club and they'd build shows around us and summer of 2005 we had booked this whole tour we were on the road and warp tour got word of how good we were doing and um they called us and we ended up canceling the rest of our tour and jumping on warp tour which was awesome and also so hard at the same time like warp tour was a whole different beast but then we made like 80 grand that summer as four kids in a in a van tr- traveling around the country and like in 2006 like 80 grand was a lot of money for four kids that were just living off of you know gas station food and we took that money and we moved out to LA and I've been here ever since and we were crushing in LA too the band was called Later Days our music's still like on Spotify we have music in some TV shows like some of the Kardashian early Kardashian episodes and real world and stuff like that uh so I get a little like 10 cent residual check every day <laughs> living the but life it adds up uh anyway so we were doing well we were kiss fm breakout star we got to play wango tango at staples center we played jingle ball and then the band kind of it just kind of fell apart but kind of at the right time because the music scene was changing and pop was just becoming so big and punk rock pop pop rock was just falling behind now there's a big resurgence but we're all too busy to jump back on it but um I kept playing drums and then I started playing for some pop singers and some pop groups and I kept going, kept going. I was in this one pop group, three girls, but the girls were just fighting. They were fighting the whole time. And I was like, you know what? Like being a drummer, I'm always supporting the the singer. I'm always supporting a front man. And I have front man energy. When I play drums, I play like, you know, I have Travis Barker vibes, you know, and uh, I was just like, I need to go do something for me. And I just, I emailed MasterChef. And literally 20 minutes after my email went through, I brewed a cup of coffee and the phone rang. And then everything's history after that. <laughs> That's quite a transition there. Um, lots to unpack. So cooking and food, like, did you have any experience at all? Had you ever worked in a restaurant, even fast food? I mean, it sounds like you didn't do culinary school or any of that, didn't come up through the ranks like so many of the cooks and chefs out there. How did you think, or why did you think you had the chops to just go on MasterChef? I'm the kind of person, like, when I say I'm good at this, like, I truly know that I'm good at it. I've taken the time to understand it. But until I get to that point, I'm like a ninja absorbing what's around me. So, uh, my first job to pay for my drum set, I was a grill cook at McDonald's, like literally flipping burgers, which you don't flip burgers. You just throw the patties on a, on a flat top and then you press them with another flat top. <laughs> and then in 30 seconds, they're done. Uh, anyway, so I worked at McDonald's, you know, being a drummer in LA, you're not making a lot of money. So I had to work at restaurants, but I would serve at restaurants, you know, to get that quick cash. And Long story short, one day I had this client or this this guest sitting at the table. I was working at CPK at the time. He was like, 
you got to work at a fine dining restaurant. He's like, if you want to make money and also be a musician, he's like, you need bigger money and you need to work less. He's like, you need a fine dining restaurant. I was like, okay. And so I went on the search. And then when I was waiting tables at this fine dining restaurant, I started falling in love with like the creativity of the food. And so I would, I would get my tables taken care of and done. And I would go back to the kitchen and I would stand behind the path and I would just watch. And the chef started noticing. He's like, what are you doing? I was like, I was just watching. And he was like, okay. And like, he just kind of was like too busy to like get on me about it. And then I got comfortable to where I could like ask him questions. Cause he saw that I was also, the more I was learning from him, my sales were going up on the, on the sales floor, on the restaurant floor. So he's like, okay, I'm going to give this kid all the knowledge. So he kept every day, like I'd learn something new from him, learn something, and I'd go home and I'd try it. And then I started buying fish from him. Like I wasn't going to the grocery store. I was like, chef, is there any Chilean sea bass left over? Can I buy some or cod or whatever? Yeah. And he would sell it to me at cost. I would take it home and I would try to recreate his dishes. And, and then I started just understanding like how dishes were built by breaking his down. And so then I started playing with my own stuff and, and then I would cook for my friends. I would cook for the bands I was playing for. And then, yeah, I just, I, I had enough friends like saying, you need to do something with food. You need to do something with food. And I was like, I'm here to play drums. Like I wasn't ready to like give that up yet. And I find this on my podcast when I'm talking to a lot of people about, you know, where they were right before they went on a reality show, I was in a rough spot. Like I wasn't making enough money to really get by like every every month I was overdrafting and I was just like stressed and I was like I need to do something that like is big like I need to like go try and win some money so I actually applied to Chopped first I was like maybe I can win 10 grand on Chopped real quick because I watched that show enough I was like I can go do that now I'm terrified I don't even know if I would go do Chopped (laughs) but uh I was like I'll I'll apply to Chopped I didn't hear back from Chopped I was like what am I doing I've watched every Gordon Ramsay show. Let me apply to MasterChef. Sure enough, then it hit, then it hit. And I went in like super naive and I think that's why it did so well because I wasn't trying to follow rules. I wasn't like building sauces. I wasn't doing it in a traditional way. I was just like focusing on making something taste good and look awesome. And What's the very first thing you made when you were on MasterChef? So to audition off camera I did a seared scallop dish with a purple cauliflower puree, roasted Brussels sprout, and a white balsamic gastrique, which is like super cliche now, but like in 2014, like a purple cauliflower puree was like all the rage. <laughs> and it, like I look back at the photo, it was so bad. Like I didn't strain my puree, I didn't pass it through a sieve. I think I just boiled the cauliflower, which made it like very light purple all kinds of air you know but like that's the thing like i didn't know and i was just like i'm gonna turn this into a puree and make it taste good and i think enough butter and salt it'll taste good so they liked it they liked my personality and then when the first time i cooked for gordon ramsay i did lamb lollipops with a coconut curry sauce and quinoa and uh I plated it super cool. I had it like stacked. Like I had them like all twisted like a pyramid and the quinoa was all inside and the sauce was driz- drizzled or dotted or whatever. And, uh, but the juxtaposition I think is what they really liked. Cause like I was in these torn jeans 
I had chucks on and I had a $9 shirt that I had cut $6 off of, you know, <laughs> like I just, I, had my, I looked like I was ready to go play drums for like rancid or something. But then I plated this really, really pretty dish and, and I nailed it. Like what's crazy too, is they tell you a little behind the scene, master chef, before you come cook for Gordon Ramsay, they need to know all the ingredients because they got to supply them for you. So they need to know your ingredients. They need to know the recipe so they know where to film you know like if there's a flambe in your recipe they need to know where that is so they make sure they capture it they need to know all the pans because you're you're walking in and this is the first time you're cooking for them so you have to submit a dish and i had never cooked lamb because i could never afford it like i wasn't buying it so i was just like i understand the concept of how to cook this and go big or go home. So that's I pretty ballsy, put, though, to not have even like bought a rack of lamb to try it just that one time. Well, I didn't have the money. I was negative in my bank account. I really wanted to. And what I was actually doing to lead up to practice before is I was calling friends and saying, hey, bring some food over. I want to I do a dinner party. You guys bring it over. I'll cook it. But I couldn't tell them why, because that has to be a secret. So, you know, people were bringing stuff over. So I was getting to cook steaks, but no one was no one wanted to bring lamb everyone was like i don't like lamb i'm like fuck like <laughs> so yeah i just i just treated it i don't know i just used my instinct i cooked it and honestly i nailed it how intimidating was it cooking for gordon ramsay um the first time it was insane i mean like i mean i was shaking so much that like i had to practice doing the sauce on like a blank plate because I, the sauce was going on after the lamb and I didn't want to fuck it all up. I was shaking so bad that like it would have looked like a Jackson Pollock painting if I would have just gone right at it. It was, I mean, it was so intimidating. And also I think we got like 30 minutes for our first audition to cook for him. And that 30 minutes feels like 30 seconds, man. I mean, it goes by so fast. It was going so fast that you, you forget little things. Like I threw a cast iron pan in the oven to get hot so that while I was making the quinoa and the sauce, I was using all my burners. I couldn't get that pan hot on the stove to steer the lamb. So I threw it in the oven and I was just moving so fast. I literally reached in bare hand to grab the cast iron because I was just thinking about the clock <laughs> and I fucking burned the, burned my palm so bad that like we had to bandage it. And luckily like the second episode didn't shoot for the, till the week after I got to heal. But, it was like it was bad even if you got it out of the oven using an oven mitt i guarantee you would have had it on the stove and you would have grabbed that with your bare hand right because that like yeah. that i do that all the time it's like you do a you nice, never not do that no you always put it in the oven to finish something and then put it up on the stove and even 10 minutes later you're like oh, i gotta move this to the back because i need this front burner and you just grab it and i i always say for people who don't know it's like that scene in raiders of the lost ark where the guy grabs the thing out of the fireplace you know what i'm talking about and it like burns yeah. into his hand you get that like nice little circle in your hand where the Mm, no good no good the way i prevent doing that is i leave a towel on it now (laughs) if it's hot i leave a towel on the handle but yeah they'll do it um but then this last time you know doing master chef all-stars i was actually more excited i wasn't i wasn't intimidated by them at all the most stressful thing this time around was just like the unknowns of the challenges and uh i mean for anyone that has watched the all-star season like 
it became more about drama than about food. And I got really annoyed with that. And so, you know, it didn't go my way, but at the same time, I think that it went the way that it was going to go. Well, I'd love to hear about what happened between seasons six and 12, because, you know, so you come off of that season, then what, like what, how were you able to kind of turn that into kind of more of a cooking career? What happened as soon as you were done with the show? It was a really hard struggle at the beginning because we film it and then we have to wait three, four months before we can announce. And it's like five months till the first episode airs. So there was this long period where I knew that I was runner up, but didn't win. So I had this feeling in the back of my head that this thought in the back of my head that they were going to edit me at some point to look like a villain because I didn't win. Um, I got lucky they never did that because I never really gave him anything to villainize myself, but in the power of Hollywood, you know what I mean? Like I was just still nervous. Um, I was also struggling still. Like I, I finished, I didn't win. I had, I still came out of there with no money and I was trying to figure out, you know, how to keep going. And like I was trying to get server jobs and they were like, what's this big six month gap? And I'm like, I can't tell you. <laughs> so that was hard. A lot of family and friends were like, you know, where have you been? And I was lying to them saying I was on tour. They're like, well, how come you weren't posting? I was like, it was with a, with an artist I wasn't allowed to share. And like, I hated it. Also, I was like, I'm not a chef. Like I just did really well on MasterChef, but like, I don't know anything about actually going and running a kitchen. I love food. I do love working at restaurants, but I've never been on Matt's side. Um, so I thought to myself, I was like, okay, how can I get like a crash course to be ready for whatever airs? Because I knew there was a, I knew there was a moment when we were filming. I came, I came back to the hotel and like, I wrote in my journal as like, I changed my life today. And it was one of those things like, I just didn't know how it was going to pan out. And so before the show started airing, I went to a burger lounge and I was like, can I start like at your lowest position in the back and work my way up? And they were like, what? Why is this white dude coming here trying to do prep at burger lounge? <laughs> you know, Cause like Southern California, there's not like a white dude doing prep. It's just like, they would never give me that job. I'm too slow. I don't, I don't speak enough kitchen Spanish. Like, there's no reason, but, uh, I begged them for this job. They gave it to me and I started just doing prep at burger lounge and worked my way up. And then one guy, one day, one guy didn't show up for salad. So I got the salad station. And then one day the guy worked the grill, didn't show up. So I got grill that kicked my ass, but I learned, I learned how to run a grill that is cooking, you know, meats to temp at a really fast pace. You know, I mean, burger lounge is like fast casual. So you're getting, you're working at the fast pace of like a fast food restaurant, but you're cooking it as like a casual dining restaurant. So I learned a lot of systems right there. And then the TV show started airing and everyone at, everyone at Burger Lab was like, what the fuck are you doing here? And I was like, all right, I'm out. And then I got lucky. The phone just started ringing. You know, there's a little bit of luck in everyone's success. And for me, it was just people started resonating and they started messaging me on Facebook and they started messaging me on Instagram and 
And so then I was, I started juggling playing drums and going and cooking private dinners for people until the point that the private dinners became so much that I didn't have time to play drums. Is that something you thought you wanted to do? Like, as you're going through the process of the show, thinking about like, okay, this is going to open some doors. What did you think you were maybe going to be doing? Like after you got through, you know, the burger restaurant and all that, were you thinking about private chefing or thinking about like higher end restaurant cooking? Yeah, I didn't know. I did. I really had no idea what to do with it. And that's the hardest part with any like reality competition show where people are literally going there to change their lives. There's no manual when you come out. There's nothing that says, go do this. And so I had, I really had no idea what to do. So I just started, I was chasing everything that showed up. So if there was someone wanted a private dinner, I would go do a private dinner. If I saw a spot at a restaurant was open, I would go apply. And I worked at a couple restaurants. I learned enough that one day I actually ran a kitchen in a restaurant. And I learned a lot about that too like when you're a chef and you're not the owner like you have to answer to these owners and they promise you the world to get you in and then when you get in you find out everything's on cod and you have to cut people and send people home and fire people you're like this is terrible (laughs) so i just followed everything that was in front of me and and presenting itself and was just learning and a sponge along the way. And then it got to the point where I got asked to be a second chef on a really high end private gig. That was a, like a, it was a three month gig at a big mansion in Bel Air. And there was so many people, like there was two chefs on, we had three servers, every shift we had like five housekeepers. So this is like a private, like a private chef gig for like one family. Yeah, for a for a <laughs> a royal family, it was insane. Um, one of the craziest gigs still that I've ever done, and it went so well that the house manager really loved me and loved what I was doing with food. And he sent out my name to other house managers, and then that was it. And then it was like everywhere was wanting me. So then from there, I went to another gig, and got a, I landed a full time private gig and i really liked it because it went from i went from having to hustle one party to the next party to the next party not knowing where the next phone call was coming from to now i have a six-figure chef gig and the only stress i have is do they like the food and it was like okay i really like this i don't like having to be tied to a restaurant and answer to owners i was like all i gotta do is make these guys happy but then I learned like this client really not fun because he just wanted well done filet mignon every day. <laughs> and I was like, at the beginning, I was super green. I was like, I can make the best well done filet mignon. I'm gonna, this is going to be my challenge. Every day I want to make sure he loves this thing. And then like every one of them just like inched, like, like cut away at my soul just a little, little by little. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> I think it sounds glamorous to the outsider to like work for a celebrity, right? Like I have friends who like cook for, pro sports players and everyone's like oh that would be so cool and then you hear what they eat it's like they're doing meal prep of like plain chicken breast with like steamed vegetables every day and if you're like a chef who likes to be creative and have that control yeah it's kind of like soul sucking i imagine it can be it can be and you have to find ways to not burn out so after 
that well done filet mignon guy i got called uh by a basketball player and i went and took that job because it was it was more money and he was super cool like the restrictions i had with him were more just he needed calories i had to make him 4,500 calories a day breakfast lunch and dinner and like that's really really hard when you're doing it with a healthy diet like i couldn't just give him bread you know what i mean i had to like it had to be healthy so you know pancakes from scratch every morning and and it'd be like you know pancakes and eggs and sausage and and it was like damn that's only 900 calories <laughs> i'm like fuck what do i do you that's know a lot of calories i got creative with it i made like these little frozen peanut butter bars so that helped that helped him get a lot and then dinner you know we'd do big stuff but he loved when i cooked him lamb like he loved that all the time but he got traded he went to dc <laughs> so i was like i can't i'm not going to dc and that's the thing also like you were saying it looks glamorous my client now is super glamorous but i have to be really creative and it's really difficult i have restrictions like they can't have it's gluten-free she's allergic to tomatoes and she's vegetarian but she loves pasta so like making a bolognese with you know no tomatoes gluten-free like it's hard but that's where the creativity is i can like make it happen so are you exclusively right now is that all you're doing is just working with one client or do you still are you still able to like do one-off events I'm exclusively with this client full time. I do like five, sometimes six days a week, and then I'll do all their holidays and parties and all that stuff. But during the pandemic, I was cooking for them five days a week, but they weren't hosting any parties. So I was just cooking for this couple. It was just two people. I was just doing dinner with enough leftovers for lunch. And so I had like, I was like, what do I do with my free time? But everything was closed. I couldn't go anywhere. So I created this cookie company. Uh, Epic Mega Cookie Co. and developed it through Shopify and, you know, got the website built, brought all my marketing creative side to life, and then launched August of 2021 and was just on doing just online sales through the website through Shopify. And it's been going amazing. And we've just slowly been building that up. And we just launched this Halloween. We opened a uh, retail shop at uh, an outdoor, like, live above mall area in Playa Vista. And still shipping nationwide through the website. So that's been insane this holiday. Last year, we were really busy doing just online. Now having the shop, people seeing it, word of mouth, we've done... 5x the amount of sales uh this christmas so this holiday season why cookies good, good question um you know being on MasterChef, i had this like rock and roll vibe and you know i i approach everything like i approached music i break it down the same kind of way and since leaving master chef season six i was like i need a product to sell like i have fans like what can i sell them and i tried just doing like merchandise back in like 2015 and, and it was fine but it was like it's not what the people really wanted you know they wanted something they could eat i'm a chef like what is it and like just doing a hot sauce yeah it's cool but there's so many hot sauces out there like i'm not gonna stand out with that and that's not really like i love to eat hot sauce but like i make like 
fancy food, you know, like where does hot sauce play? So, but I was just thinking like, what can I ship? What is something that I can mail? What is a food that I can mail? And then I made cookies for my client one day that they were sending out for Valentine's day to all their, all their clients. And I took a little Instagram and I, uh, put it on the gram and everyone was like, Oh my God, are you selling cookies? And I was like, no, but maybe I should be. <laughs> maybe. Uh, would you buy them if I did? Yeah, exactly. So I got a great response from just that. And I was like, all right, now I got to go make this cookie rocket roll. It was kind of like a happy accident. Like I posted something and the people responded. And so the way they responded, I was like, okay, I'm going to lean into this, but now I got to put my rock and roll vibe on it. So I really created like the punk rock of cookies. I mean, it looked, it's got a very punk rock vibe. What's a punk rock cookie? What, what, uh, flavors you got going on? Like our first flavor was s'mores, but the whole thing about it is it's big. It's called Epic Mega Cookie. And like the box is a whole experience. You open it up. There's an alien in a spaceship inside and he's like beaming up the cookie. Cause there's like that underlying in punk rock. There's, there's an obsession with aliens. I don't know why, but it's there. I think Tom DeLonge was a big part of that. <laughs> so I just put like my spin on it. But then like, you know, I, I make the cookies like chefy. But like, for instance, right now we have a snickerdoodle cookie, but we do a bourbon caramel and candy pecans in the snickerdoodle cookie. And it's an insane cookie. Then I came with this other cookie called Chef's Dream, which is... I I brown the butter first, uh, and then chill it, and then whip the butter with the sugar. So it's a brown butter base, and then I push the salt like to the max. Um, like when I was testing this cookie, it was like I made a bunch of doughs, and I just added one more gram of salt into each one to taste. And I got it. I pushed it all the way as far as I could push it. So it's brown butter, salt, and then butterscotch chips. And that cookie is like that cookie doesn't look fancy because it just I mean it's just a smooth top i put sugar on top so it looks like a sugar cookie but when you bite into it i mean it just yeah it's like a punk rock chorus <laughs> that sounds like my jam like chocolate's fine and all but i lean towards like butterscotch like a butterscotch pot de creme like i'd rather have yes. butterscotch chips in my cookies than chocolate chips like i'm totally yeah. with you that sounds like an amazing cookie well it's becoming like the unsung hero like now that we've had the store open and it's been online more like more and more this cookie is like every week we get more sales on this cookie than the other cookie. So it's it's becoming uh, a fun one. So we do stuff like that. It's like we do pop-ups with like markets and then we, we do like limited edition runs of cookies. So it's kind of like getting that limited edition CD or whatever, like keeping it like that. And then now we have merchandise too. Like I'm wearing one of the, one of the merchandises, tatted up alien. He's got cookie boxers on. People love that. Like, I want all my gear to be just like chef friend restaurant stuff. Like, I have a, like my winter hat this year is Chef Matt Collins, like been a guest on the podcast. Like, I'm wearing Chef Collins winter hat everywhere, and it's like I got my cap from my favorite barbecue spot in Texas. You know, it's like I like that stuff. It, it's fun. I think the people love it. Yeah, and then we also just launched um, cookie scented candles too. You know, all the delicious nice and zero calorie. <laughs> Well, how do you manage your time? Because, you know, I think that's one of the things that many of us who are like solo entrepreneurs, like 
it sounds like you've got a lot going on with that alone. I think that is probably enough to take all your time, right? But then you also have like a sh- a chef client. So, yeah. you know, how do you figure that out? I'm sure, you know, you clearly have people working for you now and with you. Um, when did you decide that you needed to kind of like bring people on to help with that? And, and what did that look like? Because I think that's one of the things a lot of our listeners struggle with is they want to grow and scale, but they don't really know when they need help and who to bring on to help them. It's tricky. And I don't know if I've 100% nailed it, but like you do need a team. It's really hard to like relinquish the responsibility on something that's so important to you. And so this has been a good practice of that. And it really shows like, you know, I created the recipe and now it's like, okay, I got to type out this recipe so that it's foolproof. No matter who's doing it, they can follow this recipe. And then I know that it's good. And then I, that was a good practice. Like, okay, let somebody do it. Don't worry about it. Like let them put it in the cookie box, let them package it up, let them set it out and letting go and seeing it still work, it actually makes your foundation stronger. And then it's like, okay, what else can I delegate? It was really learning how to delegate. I mean, I couldn't do any of this without my wife. She has fully immersed herself into it as well. So you learn to lean on the people around you. I mean, she does so much, but also we have friends that like, we have friends that'll come over and just drink wine and help us box cookies because they want to hang out with us. And like, don't feel bad about asking someone, you know, you'll learn who you're true friends are when you have a small business they'll they'll show up even with some private gigs like there was one time i had a chef cut himself unloading his mandolin and it was so bad he had to go straight to the hospital and get stitches and it was just me now and so i put an apron on my wife and i was like okay everything that i knew that i could just explain and have her do you know she did it she cut things she cooked things and just followed my direction and uh, so it's really about just learning how to delegate, you know, you look at someone like Gordon Ramsay and it's like, man, how does, how does he have, you know, 15 TV shows, 25, 30 restaurants, however many Michelin stars. Well, he just delegates. You learn, you learn how to delegate. So I'm still learning how to do that. But I think that's really the answer is you just got to learn how to create a product or create your vision in a way that you can explain it to somebody else and let them take it and go with it and just trust. And I think, you know, sometimes we think, oh, well, everyone can see me struggling and they would offer to help, you know, but because they haven't, you know what I mean? Like you get caught up in your head where you're like, oh, I don't need to ask for help because people will just see that I need help. Uh, But it doesn't work like that. Like the amount of times where I've just like finally said like, hey, can someone give me a hand? And everyone's like, oh, yeah, of course. But like you don't get that help if you don't ask, you know? Exactly. You don't. And then also it's just like, you got to be willing to just put in the hours. I mean, last week I did somewhere 133, 135 hours bleeding into the next week. And like my wife was right there with me the whole time. And, you know, it was like, we just busted it out. And because we know it's like, we're, it's the holidays, like January was not going to be this busy. So we got to get it now. And so it's just making those small sacrifices and then you grow from it. It's, It's like with my client too, like Thanksgiving, I had to cook for like 16 people. So I was prepping all that plus, you know, cooking for them every day. Plus like I was in Dallas, so I was just making phone calls for the cookie. And then it got cut down to 
a smaller number for the meal, but whatever. It was like I was doing so much that the following week I was just cooking for two people. So I, I just felt more relaxed and I was like, oh, I have all, I have so much more time. And then you start learning like where you can manage that time. This last week, doing all the cookie stuff, all the restaurant stuff, all the podcast stuff that this week just like, I'm like, ah, oh, I can just make cookies all day today. I got nothing to do but make cookies, <laughs> you know? You just like dropped in there that you have a podcast and we even haven't even talked about that. So I want to touch on that a little bit. Like, so you've got a podcast, you talk to reality TV stars, right? Not winners of shows. Yeah. So it's called A Bunch of Losers with Derek Fox and... I interview anyone that's been on a reality competition show that did not win. And I've thought of this idea before going on MasterChef All-Stars. I also started the cookie before MasterChef All-Stars. So just to go back to a previous topic we were talking about, like when I came off of season six, I didn't know what to do. When I got the call for All-Stars, I was like, I know exactly what I'm doing. And I started putting things in play before I even went there. And before I even went and filmed, because I knew like when I come off of this, I need to have something to sell. When I come off of this, I need to have a podcast. I need to have a place for people to go watch content. I hate doing cooking videos, but I do them because people enjoy them. So that's kind of like, you know, you know, in like Hollywood, they're like, we do one for you and three for me or whatever. Like the cooking videos, you're my one for them. <laughs> That sucks though, because like I hear this so often with creators, it's just like the time suck. Like they don't want to do them, but they do them. Like, when can we just do what we want to do without having to do the one for them? But you know, that I, we could get sidetracked going down that road for sure. So, the, but to answer the question about the podcast, um, I came up with the idea. I knew a production company that I had worked with before, I presented it with them. Before we even shot the first episode, I just made, I made a deck. Uh, for those that don't know what a deck is, it's just like, it's basically like a PDF pitch of what you're trying to create with, you know, photos and lines and captions and stuff. So I made a deck, pitched it to them. I also had a friend that was like, I know someone at iHeart and I had already signed with this production company and then iHeart got wind of it and they loved the idea and they were like trying to buy the podcast from us. And I was like, that's a sign. I was like, I don't even have an episode recorded yet. And I got iHeart wanting to buy it. I'm like, okay, one, my years in Hollywood, I'm I'm like, I'm going to hold on to it. You know, so I'm like, nope, hold on to it. But it also lit the fire under the podcast or the production company. They're like, yes, this is good. So they leaned in. Uh, but then I got booked for MasterChef All-Stars. And was like, okay, I got to go see if I can win this thing. And if I win this, we'll just title the podcast something else we'll do something else but let me go try and win this first and then when i didn't win it was like it's okay because this podcast is going to be big it was that it was like it clicked like when you say the name a bunch of losers you're like wait what like why do we want to hear from these losers well because when you go on a reality tv show if you do well you win you change your life and everyone i've talked to has in some way changed their life uh drastically I mean, I love talking with people. I love sharing stories and, and really that's what a podcast is all about. So I've been learning how to be better at it, but it's one of those things where I just love doing it. Yeah. It's not something I ever thought I was going to do. Like 
I've talked about this on the show so many times, but like how it came about, I, I hadn't even really thought about it until someone suggested it to me. But, you know, so many people start podcasts, they have training, they've been in journalism, they know how to interview, or they have the editing down. I was just like, I've never interviewed people. I don't know anything about recording or editing. <laughs> We're just going to start this show. I didn't have a production company. Um, right. And the amount of things I've learned along the way has been phenomenal. But I just... At its core, I really want to talk to people and have them be able to share their stories. That's at the end of the day, I just want to have a good conversation, connect with some people. And, you know, if I can give them a platform, you know, I'm not necessarily going for the big name people, right? Like sometimes it's hard because I'll have some big name person reach out and want to come on the show. And it's like, I really want to save this space for, you know, not that you're a lesser known person, but, you know, it would be cool to have this celebrity chef on the show, but I really want to have that guy who's just like a personal chef in Denver or whatever, who nobody's heard of before. I think that's more interesting. But I like that you both for you, it's not about so much like your interview skill. You have, you created a niche that you knew there's a lot of people out there, right? Like chefs without restaurants. I mean, that's just, I just think that's brilliant. And I'm, I'm glad that you're doing it because there are a lot of us that, we're carving a path and we don't necessarily get the guidance uh, that we need because we don't know who to talk to. We don't know because most of the time the private chef is very hidden, you know? Um, I know when I first came off master chef and I wanted to start doing private dinners, I reached out to some chefs and they were like, they wouldn't tell me what to do. They wouldn't give me any advice. They wouldn't share how much they were charging. It was almost like they ignored me and were like, figure it out. And I kind of get it now, but at the same time, I'm like, I don't want to be that guy now. Like I've let people in, I teach them what to do. I show them how to make, make themselves be successful because you share your talent and share your success with other people. It comes back to you even more. And, you know, for me, the market is huge. Like even in a small to mid-sized city, like if you're not having other chefs, like for your business, go out and work then you can only do one event a day. And you probably can't work seven days a week. I'd be surprised if a lot of chefs, private chefs could work five days a week. So if someone wants to hire me on a Friday night and I'm booked, like it doesn't hurt me to pass that along. And it doesn't hurt me to tell someone else in my area how to be a better personal chef. Like I just, I don't see that. It, it doesn't come off as competition to me. Yeah, I mean, you do have to, you do have to vet those chefs because if you stick a chef with a client and they fail, then that also, that's where it hurts you. A hundred percent. Cause I had that happen when you do it right. And you vet the right chef, then it comes back to you. They're like, Oh, this chef was amazing. Who else can you get us? And it's like, and then you get to start making a fee off of booking another chef. And I think that's where all private chefs, that's where we can grow, right? Like when you have one client, there's where else do you go? You can't grow anywhere. You got to be able to hire other chefs and place them and, and make money from lots so you can grow your business. That's kind of the intersection where I'm at right now and just kind of deciding which road to go down because that becomes like a whole other thing. Like how much time do you want to spend being like a staffing agency, right? You know, like right. headhunter or whatever. Like if you really love just being out there cooking, um, is that something you should stick with or should you go down that road of trying to connect chefs with clients? And, uh, I'm, I've kind of got like one toe in each, uh, <laughs> pond there. Yeah. And I, I felt the same way. Like I leaned into it and then I was like, this is for me, it wasn't worth it. So now I just do it. Like if one of my chefs hits me up, 
like, hey, I need work. I put them at the top of my list. And then if someone calls, I connect them. And depending on the situation, I'll take a finder's fee or I won't. And that's as far as I'll go with it. Like, I don't want to have a whole staffing agency. Well, what's next for you? Do you have anything slated that you can talk about? You know, the cookie, we, we've got that going. We have the store at Runway Playa Vista. We got new flavors coming out always. I'm about to launch Epic Mega Minis um, that are going to come in an assortment package so you can try multiple cookies without having to buy the giant cookie. Is that like an oxymoron Mega Mini? Yeah, it's ridiculous. I don't know. <laughs> we're going to see how we're going to do a trial. We're going to see how it works. Um, sign up. Um, I'm going to be doing a VIP tasting Tuesdays. So everyone on our VIP list, they can come to the store on Tuesdays and get a sample of new ideas free of charge. Just come in. Uh, but you have to be on the VIP list. Um, we're going to do those one one Tuesday a month. What else do I got going on? I mean, obviously the podcast, I got a lot of really big guests lined up for January. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a favorite client that you ever worked for that you can share? A favorite? Cl- yeah. Like, so I only do one-off parties and I did uh, Allie Krieger, who's a women's soccer player. I did her bachelorette party a couple of years ago and it was booked through her best friend who does not play pro soccer, but I always try and dig as much info as I can. So when this woman's like, oh, it's for my friend who's a woman's soccer player and whatever, I just started Googling. So I kind of had an idea and I was hoping and I get there and all the women at the party, except for the host, play for like a women's U.S. like soccer team, had played like national team. Like, so Allie was on the women's team that won you know, like f- three, four years ago or something like that, like Women's World Cup. And there was just like Crystal Dunn was there. Like she just was the team that won like the women's championship here like two months ago. Like my son and I went and saw them play in D.C. So they wow. were super cool. Um, they did an 80s themed uh, prom bachelor. So it was like the day after Halloween. So they all came like wearing like eighties gowns and stuff. And they wanted Mexican food, which is my favorite. So like I brought a guy with me and we were like making homemade tortilla, like tortillas to order, had like three kinds of meats, all the salsas, but she was super cool about sharing to social media because you know, so many of these people are really private. And when she was there, she, you know, tons of photos, videos with us. She's got like, you know, I don't know, 400,000 followers on Instagram and posting that stuff. But I've also said that like that didn't give me like a big bump in business because I think a lot of people are like, wow, I'm going to cook for this celebrity. They're going to share it on social. But it's like it's so fast. Like even if it's a static post, it gets buried so fast. So you can put that as part of your resume or on your like, hey, I've cooked for. But that really doesn't translate, right? Like right. Uh, being in LA, I'm sure you see that all the time. Like just because you cooked for a well-known person one time does not necessarily give you that social leverage that people hope it does. I've had it go both ways. I've had, I had like, Ty, like I cooked for Ty Dolla Sign and he was sharing my stuff on his story and it got me new followers, a lot of new followers, but it didn't lead to any new business. But then when I was cooking for the basketball player, he started sharing my stuff and I booked three gigs through people that were fans of his that had the money that could afford me. And they were like, so excited to be able to eat the food that their favorite LA Laker eats. You know, it was like, that was kind of weird, but it was cool. 
so I've had to, I've had to go both ways, but I think, um, you know, when those celebrities do that, when they share with no strings attached, like, I think some of them understand how important that is. I think others, like they don't understand and we're really grateful. And then the ones that don't and keep it private and are like, don't support in that way because they're not getting paid. You see that too. And I think, I think oh, that's yeah. the worst way to be about it. But I mean, this, it was cool. Like it was a fun party. Like I was honored that we could do it. And it was, you know, the food that I loved cooking and people who are really nice. I've cooked for other well-known people who are like super cheap, kind of like dicks, to be honest. Like, like one guy who was nickel and diming me and, you know, like he rented an air, like rented out an Airbnb for a whole month, like during COVID. So he could like be private and not around people. And he's right. like, every single like trying to get me for like $60 a, a head when like I've been charging like yeah like way above that and you know like well I'm gonna shop around I'm like feel free to shop around like but then you know who he is and you're like wow this yeah, guy you don't want him people like that sometimes I think are used to treating people they hire like the help you know what I mean right. like and I just I'm I'm over being the help like I don't care what I'm getting paid for this like if I get the vibe that you're just gonna have me be you're like Beck and call servant. I'm just not interested in doing it. That's where I'm at in my career. And I'm comfortable knowing that. I think all clients, they eventually learn that like the chef is not the help, like their housekeeper, you know? <laughs> right. Uh, first of all, you're lucky that you can afford both and you shouldn't treat the housekeeper any less than the chef. But I guess what I'm saying is that like, we're putting the food in your body, dude. Like you, you need to be really nice to that person. Like, you need to treat me like a part of the family. You, I think anyone that has a private chef, they should they should find the chef that they feel like that person's part of the family. Because I've been all of it. I've been the guy that has been treated like the help. I've been the guy that's the rock star chef, but they, they're, they're hiring me just because they wanted to get me. And then I've also, like now, I have the client where I literally feel like I'm a part of the family. And I can walk in walk in and around their house at any time and have conversations, sit down at the dinner table, like open their fridge, you know, and that's the best place to be. Like, you know, when, when your client gives you a hug at the end of the night and just says, I love you. Like that's the highest place you can be as a private chef. And, and that's the best place to be. Cause then you are stress free and performing at the highest level. Well, one of the questions I always like to ask is, what does it mean to you to be a chef? You know, that's, that's a really, it's a very simple, but very deep question. Because I know when I first started, it was like, there were chefs that were like, well, you're not a chef. And it's like, well, everyone calls me chef. So I don't know how to, I don't know how to answer that. Cause like I show up, I cook food and people throw that word around a lot. Right. Um, but you know, when you look at someone like, Josiah Citrin or some others that are Michelin star chefs that never went to culinary school, they're chefs. You know, I think really what a chef is, is a person that can be creative with food and also manage the food and the waste and the budget. I think it's, uh, it's someone that can lead a team I mean, you don't have to know everything about every cuisine to be a chef. I think it's more about being the leader and being able to manage the food and the expectation from the guest and the client. And then also, you know, make 
good, delicious food and make people happy. So I think being a chef, like what is a chef is a very difficult question. You have to know that you are doing something more than just anyone that knows how to cook, right? I think that's really what it is. You're doing more than what anyone than anyone who just knows how to cook. All right. That's a good one. Thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time. It's been such a pleasure getting to know you a little bit and talking to you today. Yeah, man. Please stay in touch. And uh, yeah, let me know when this is live and everything. I, I, I enjoyed it. Thank you. And to all of our listeners, this has been Chris with the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. Thanks so much for listening and have a great week. Go to chefswithoutrestaurants.org to find our Facebook group, mailing list, and chef database. The community's free to join. You'll get gig opportunities, advice on building and growing your business, and you'll never miss an episode of our podcast. Have a great week.